listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Thank you, Kent. Just you and me this morning, bro. You and me. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, awesome. If you have a Bible, let's go to uh, John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, as we continue in our series, Ghost Series, uh, Randy, sorry, Ghost Stories. You know, I mean, cut me a little break. I mean, Randy Rogers just walks right up here where I'm preaching and starts flipping my Bible over. So I tell you, uh, love you, man. Yeah, we are in a new series entitled Ghost Stories, uh, where we are looking at the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is His role in our life? And uh, if you're a first-time uh, guest with us, we just want to welcome you this morning. Um, we want you to, to go from feeling like a guest to feeling connected, uh, being a part of, of a family. And there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, you can grab this Connect card. You can fill out some information about yourself. Uh, you can bring that to me uh, as you walk out, and we'll be sure and connect with you on your terms and not hours. Uh, you can also uh, visit our website. It's fellowshipparagold.com. Or you can uh, email me, Jared, J-A-R-E-D, at fellowshipparagold.com. And uh, if you don't want to connect with us beyond this, but you want some more information, uh, you can also grab this little sheet there. Uh, you'll see it by the Connect cards, and uh, that'll tell you more information about our church and, and ways you can get connected uh, if you are interested. So uh, again, John chapter 14 is where we are going to be uh, this morning. We're going to start in actually verse 12, and we're going to read down to verse 18. Jesus says the following, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans and I will come to you. Let's pray together one more time. You pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning. Um, with these folks, and, and I, I know that none of us got up early this morning just to go through the motions. We need our lives transformed by you, and so I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will cut through the distractions in our minds, the busyness of life, and that you will take these words that are active and living, and you will drive them into our hearts and transform us for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to see a show of hands this morning. How many of you have ever felt like giving up? Let me say a show of hands. Okay, the majority of you, um, the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, um, you should get out more. <laughs> and uh, you should try, try uh, some, some harder things. Um, there have been many times in my life where I felt like giving up, times that I even have given up. Um, there's one instance that comes to mind. I remember when I was 16 years old, I worked at a local Chinese restaurant, and uh, out of all the jobs I've ever worked at, this was by far 
the hardest. And I've worked in a factory, I've worked on a farm, I've mowed lawns for a summer, and, and this is a very hard job because as a 16-year-old, uh, here was the expectations, is that I not only needed to take orders and make sure glasses were filled, but I had to run the cash register, I had to bus tables, I had to ensure that the buffet was stocked, and at the end of the night, I had to clean the whole facility. On top of this, the lady who owned the restaurant on a weekly basis would act, ask me to bring in my grades. And uh, because I was not a, a good student in school, she wanted to continue to, to check on me. And so over and over each week, I'd bring in my grades and it'd be the same conversation. She would look at me and just be like, why do you make no A's? And I'd be like, I don't know. Like, I just want you to give me an egg roll and let me clock in and get to work. Like, I just want to make some money. Like, that's what we're here for, right? And, 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 and so like, but she continued to... To, to be on me and just add more and more duties to me. And so against my parents' best wishes, within about three months, it got so hard that I, I quit the job. And, and maybe you've been there, right? Maybe it's not a job. Maybe it's working out. Or maybe it was a diet, right? I don't know what it may be, but, but I'm willing to bet this morning, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter what your history is, there have been times in your life where things have gotten difficult and you have wanted to call it quits, Right? And here's the deal, the same is true when it comes to the Christian life. I mean, we all know, for example, right, that Jesus calls us to make disciples, right? If you are a Christian, you are a disciple who's called to make disciples. But if we can be honest, aren't there times where we look and say, like, I know Jesus has called me to do this, but, but goodness, like, discipleship is hard. It, it, it's messy, and it's slow, and it's, and it's tedious. So can I just kind of, you know, show up here on Sunday mornings, like, you know, sing a few songs and listen to some preaching and call it a week? You know, when it comes to our marriage, like we know that the Bible says, despite what culture says, the Bible says marriage is primarily about God's glory, right? It's about his glory more than it's about our individual happiness. And when it comes to marriage, we're called, the Bible says, to love and serve one another with an unconditional love, without expecting anything in return. But aren't there times in marriage even where you say, man, my spouse has been so difficult. Like, if, if, if I'm not going to do one more thing for this ungrateful person until they realize how lucky they are to be married to me. Right? Uh, when it comes to, to parenting, we know that we're to shepherd our kids' hearts with the gospel, but sometimes our children continue to act like midget demons, right? And, and we say, forget the gospel. I'm not going to do it God's way anymore. I want to do it my way. God's way doesn't seem to be working, so I'm, I'm checking out, I'm, I'm tapping out, and I just want to kind of go sit on the sidelines. Maybe even for the praise band this morning, they said everything was going wrong, right? There's just times in life where it's like no matter how hard you try, I think we can look and say there are times where we feel like I can't win, Right? No matter how hard I try, no matter how bad I, I want to do what God has called me to do, there are times where we feel like just giving up. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You come in here and you sing a few songs, and you're here and you're following along in the Bible, and, and you're smiling, you look good on the outside, but if you can be honest, your enthusiasm is low. If you can be honest, the motivation to move forward in mission is nearly non-existent. And though nobody else maybe even knows about it, you struggle with some of the same sins over and over and over and over again. Maybe this morning, though you look good on the outside, on the inside, you're frustrated. And possibly even fail or feel somewhat like a failure. And if that's you, I've got good news. God is not mad at you. In fact, he's not sitting up in heaven saying, you know, I, I really wish you could pull it together. I really wish you could get your act straight. He's not up there saying, you know, I wish you would just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and finally for once do what I've asked you to do. 
No, what we're going to see this morning in the scripture is that God is a God who wants to give us a gift. He wants to give us some help to actually live the life that we want to live, a life that he's called us to live that is for our good and his glory. And as we see in this text, as we just read, this gift, this help that he wants to give us to live the life that he's called us to is his very own Holy Spirit. And as we looked at last week, the Holy Spirit, we have to get this. Our our whole series is built off of what we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Bible says he is the third person of the Trinity. And so despite the fact that maybe some of us have grown up treating him like the bastard child of the Trinity... He's just as much God as God the Father. He's just as much God as God the Son. We need Him just as much as we need the Father, and we need Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a He. The Holy Spirit is a person. And here's what we need to see this morning. With this person comes an incredible power that if you can finally learn how to tap into, you will see God do incredible things in and through you. And and so with that in mind, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your spot in John 14, and I want you to look with me over in Luke chapter 1. We're going to come back to John 14, but I want to build a case for this, this reality that with the person of the Spirit comes this power with the Spirit to live this life that God has called us to live. So look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And here's the context. An angel comes to this virgin named Mary and says, you're going to have the Son of God. Okay, not something you hear every day. And so Mary, like many of us, has questions. And she's like, okay, well, how is this going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin. How in the world am I going to have the Son of God? And I want you to look at the angel's response in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come up on you. And then what's the word next? And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so Mary says, how is it that I'm going to have the Son of God? And and what is the angel's answer? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he is going to, through his power, make this happen. Okay? Now, with this in mind, flip over to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at several different passages. We're going to move quickly, so you're going to have to listen quickly this morning. All right, Luke chapter 3, Jesus is now a grown man. He's about to begin his ministry, and before he begins his ministry, he says, I'm going to be baptized to identify with humans. And so in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, Now when all people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and look, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. And so here again, we have this account where, where Luke records Jesus goes, he is baptized, and when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And by the way, maybe some of you have walked into Christian bookstores before, and you see these paintings of like the Holy Spirit, and it's always what? It's like a dove? Notice the Bible says the Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. Okay, so now Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. And then look over in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke, again, very careful to record this. He says, and then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So we talk a whole lot about following Jesus, and we should. But notice in this passage, even Jesus was a follower. And who did Jesus follow? 
the Holy Spirit. So in this instance, he follows the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but you can read it again later. Basically, in in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Satan comes in while Jesus is fasting and praying and spending time with his Father. And Satan begins to try to tempt Jesus to sin. He begins to try to lure him off of the mission. He begins to try to distract him from the very purpose he came for, which is to redeem and restore humanity. And so he tempts Jesus with basically instant gratification. He tries to get Jesus to embrace his comforts over the cross. He tries to get Jesus to doubt the Father's love for him. But Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, resists every single temptation. He never once sinned. And then look what Luke says next in verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. Again, being very careful to record all this. He said, And then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went out about him through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was custom, it says he went out into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. Jesus says, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I have personally received the Holy Spirit. And then look, here's why. Here's why I've received the Spirit. You ready? He says, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I love this next, because the people that are there listening to Jesus speak, just like you would be listening now, they see such a power on Jesus. It says in the very next verse, And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Okay, now listen, here's why I read all that. Okay, And I know that's, that's a lot. We covered it very quickly. But I want you to see this with your own eyes because what I'm about to say, I promise you, will change your life if it will settle into your heart. And that's not just like pastor talk, like hyperbole. Like, I, I'm serious. Like, it will absolutely change your life. Okay, So listen carefully. As we talked about last week, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. This Bible that we have are not just, it's not just words on a page. This is the, the words from the very Holy Spirit given to men and then written down for us. And so what that means is that every word that is on this page is there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And so with that in mind, when we read these accounts, we should stop and ask ourselves, why is it that Luke was so concerned with talking so much about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's connection to Jesus? Does that make sense? Like, like why, we should be asking ourselves, why does, why does Luke record in here, for example, that it was the Holy Spirit who was able to bring about this virgin birth and give Mary the Son of God? And, and why is it that Luke recorded that whenever Jesus was baptized, that he received the Holy Spirit? And why did, he, why did he then talk about how Jesus was filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit? Why does he do this? And this is why this is so important that we... We have to get that this morning. The reason that Luke is doing this is because he wants to show us that Jesus Christ is the perfect example of what it looks like to live the Spirit-filled life. In other words, what Luke is wanting to show us is that 
the way Jesus performs his miracles, and you've got to get this, focus. The way that Jesus performed his miracles, the way that Jesus was able to escape sin and do all the amazing stuff that he did was because he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you believe that this morning, like it will change your life, I promise you. Because most of us, I think this is the way we read the Bible. We look at Jesus and we see the stuff he does and we say, of course he did it. He's Jesus. Right? Of course he performed miracles. Of course he never sinned. I mean, he's the son of God for crying out loud. But what does Luke say here? Luke says the reason that he did what he did is not simply because he's Jesus, but because he was a man who walked filled with the Spirit. Now, some of you hear that and you say, wait a minute, though, but he is fully God, right? Yes, Jesus is fully God. But what we read in the Bible is whenever he came to this earth, he also became fully human. And that's why Paul says what he says in Philippians 2, 7. I think we can put it on the screen for you. He said that when Jesus came to earth, it says instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Translation, what Paul is saying here is though Jesus never stopped being God... When he came to earth, he emptied himself of his godlike powers so that he could become human just like you and just like me. It's a mind blower, isn't it? And we see this in the scripture. I mean, think about it. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. It's a big theological word that just means he's everywhere all the time. Class, is Jesus omnipresent? No. <laughs> We got a heretic on the second row, and it just so happens to be one of our ordained elders. No. No, he is not omnipresent, no matter what anybody else tells you, including one of the pastors of this church. Let's try this one, Luke. All right. Is God the Father omnipotent? All right. Yes, he is. That means he's all-powerful. He never runs out of energy. Is Jesus Christ... Does he, does, he, does he never run out of energy? Does Jesus never run out of energy? That's the question. Yes or no? Right? Like he runs out of energy. Yeah, he gets tired. Right? Like physically and emotionally. Um, what about this? And there's probably some debate on this. God the Father is omniscient. That's a big theological word, meaning that he is all-knowing. But when we look at Jesus' life, is he all-knowing? Now, some would say yes. I would say no. Because whenever you read the Bible, you see places like Mark chapter 9 where Jesus walks up to a, a boy that's possessed. He looks at his dad and he says, hey, how long has he been this way? Why did Jesus ask that? You think he's just like, I really know, but I just want to see if you know. Like, No, like, why has he been that way? How long? And the dad says he's been like that since birth. I mean, there's times where the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom. If he was all-knowing, how do you grow in wisdom if you already have all wisdom? I mean, Jesus himself, whenever he was talking to his followers, said, the Father knows when I'll return, but I don't even know when I'm going to return. Right? So Jesus is not, we see as he's in the flesh, is not all-knowing. And this is why this is so important. Listen, this is why this is so important. Because if you don't get this, you're going to look at Jesus' life and you're automatically going to count out any possibility of living a life that looks anything like this. You're going to say, I could never do that. That's what Jesus did, but I, he's the son of God. I can't do it. And it's kind of like this. Um, a, a few weeks ago, my son had his second birthday party. And we had several people over. And one of, them, one of the families was the Runyons. Uh, are they in here? They have child care today. Have child care. Okay, they're teaching. Um, anyways, the Runyons are there, and they've got their two kids, um, and uh, they, they play sports and whatnot. So I look at Andy, one of, and I'm like, hey, Andy, uh, 
I want you to see how good my son's getting at hitting the ball, too. You know, I know your kids can hit a ball, but watch this. And so I give Wyatt a bat, and he's just like standing there, you know, and it's like, I'm like, okay, son, here's the ball. And I throw it to him, and it goes past him, and like five minutes later, he's like, and then it's like, you know, I look at him, like, let me try again. I tried again, didn't happen. And eventually I'm like, well, let me set it on the tee for you. If I set it on the tee, like, he'll be able to drive that thing. And I put it on the tee, and he's just like, thunk, and like, hits the tee, and like, the ball falls. And, and Andy picks up the ball, little smart aleck, and he's like, hey, watch this. And so he pulls Jace over to the tee, and Jace is only four months older than Wyatt. And he puts the ball on the tee, and Jace, like, is like stinking Albert Pujols, just like, think. Like, he puts it on the he's like, Think. I mean, he's just like drilling them. And then Andy's like, and check this out, and grabs a ball, and is like throwing him balls, like not even looking, and, and Jace just like, boom, just like nailing them. And at that moment, I'll be honest, I got pretty discouraged, right? I'm looking at that, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute. Of course Jace can hit the ball like that. He's the son of Andy. I mean, Andy was a D1 college baseball player. He coached high school baseball. He's got Andy's DNA. What does my kid have? Tennis! <laughs> I thought about just taking the bat away from him right there and just start putting, you know, a tennis racket, tennis balls in there. You know, like I'd given up on my son being able to hit a ball in that moment. Why? Because of the DNA he had. Because of the genetic makeup. And I, and I look at that and I think, man, it's the same thing we do with Jesus. We look and we say, of course he's able to do all these things. I mean, he is the son of God. He has God's very DNA inside of him. And the whole point, listen... The whole point of John 14, and if you flip back over there again, the whole point is Jesus wants us to know this morning that when we trust in him, we also receive the very DNA of God inside of us so that we can do what he has done. In John 14, if you look again, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, I want some crowd participation here. If you've read the Gospels, what are the things we've seen Jesus do in the Gospels? Just throw them out there. Heal the sick. What's that? Raise the dead. Walk on water. Multiplied food. What's that? Run off demons. Cast them out. Anything else? <laughs> Flip the table. All right, we did see that. Anything else? I don't know what you just said, but who said what? Okay. Cure blindness. Yeah, I mean, we go on and on and on, right? That's some pretty miraculous stuff. Would you agree? And then Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Anybody doing those works? Those who believe in me will do the works that I do, and then it gets even crazier. And even greater works he will do. Now, there's some debate over what Jesus means by even greater. Some mean that, think that Jesus means that it'll be greater in quality. So Jesus was like, hey, I was able to raise people from the dead, but not only will you raise people from the dead, but when you do it, like fireworks are going to go off, like blue angels are going to fly over, like it's going to be insane. Right? You're going to one-up me, basically. Others believe, no, he doesn't mean greater in quality, he means greater in quantity. And so, though, because Jesus can only be in one place at one time, despite what Luke says, um, <laughs> like, Christians are all over the world. And so, what some believe, theologians, like, that it means that this will be greater works in quantity. Listen, okay, let's focus. No matter where you stand on that debate, can we all at least agree on this? Whatever Jesus means by greater, he doesn't mean lesser. 
when he says greater things you will do, he wasn't really meaning like, actually, you'll never even become close to doing the kind of stuff that I've done. No. Jesus says, when you believe in me, you will do the things I have done and greater things and this. And how is it possible? Verse 16 through verse 18, he says, because when I leave, I am going to send you my very Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you my helper to empower you to do everything that I've called you to do. Isn't that crazy? And then he goes on and he reminds his followers of this in Acts chapter 1. Do we have that passage on the screen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? I don't know if we do if we're not. Okay, that's fine. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus is about to ascend and go back with his father. And what does he say to his disciples? He says, don't go anywhere. But listen, he'll stay right there. But then I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And when you receive, there it is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? My witnesses. And that's exactly what we see happen if you read the book of Acts. These people receive the Holy Spirit and they become his witnesses. They do signs, they do wonders, they speak with authority. They live a life in such a way that when people look at them, they say, man, I get a picture now of what Jesus is like. As they're walking filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, do you know what that means this morning? Just think about that. What that means is that no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter what sins are plaguing you right now, no matter how weak you feel, you have everything that you need to live a life that looks like Jesus. Do you believe that? You have every single thing that you need to live the life that he's called you to live ultimately for his glory. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 Peter says this, he says, His divine power, talking about God, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What that means is that you now have everything you need to live a godly life because the very divine nature of God is in you. You have God's DNA coursing through your veins. And so what that means is that there's no wound that is so deep it can't be healed. What that means is that there's no brokenness so great it can't be repaired. There's no habit so binding that you cannot be freed from it this morning. And Paul says in Romans 8 that if you've received the Spirit, you've received the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You ever thought about that? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Is in you. And I know some of you, you're looking like this is just ridiculous. Like you're, I mean, honestly, like you're looking, and I think the only thing that's possibly going through your mind right now is, yeah, that's great, but why don't I feel that? Yeah, I mean, I see it in the text. I can't deny it. It's right there. But, but where's this Holy Spirit you speak of in my life? How come I don't experience this kind of power if this is true? That's a good question to, to ask this morning, isn't it? That's a fair question to ask. And I think the way to answer that question is to remember something we talked about last week. That the Holy Spirit, again, is not an it, but is a person. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit's power, what we need to remember is we are talking about a person's power. And so listen carefully. What that means is, listen, if you are not experiencing the Holy Spirit's power in your life, the first thing you need to know is if you want to experience the Holy Spirit's power, you need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need to commune with God's Spirit. And let me give it to you like this. I'll share an example. I have been working out now for a year and a half, three days a week. Can't tell, Jared. Okay, I know. All right. 
Like, I'm going to talk about it. I've been working out for, for a year and a half, three days a week, and I still don't look like the Wolverine, which was my goal when I started working out. Someone's like, what is your goal? It's like, it's to look amazing, to be built. Like, isn't that everybody's goal, right? But I'm not, okay? And, and so um, here's the deal. When I think about my brother-in-law, who I've got a picture of up here, um, you can leave that. That's Morgan Hawley. He was actually Mr. Greek uh, Adonis. Is that how you say it? At ASU a couple years ago. Uh, muscled up dude. He's a guy that reminds me that when it comes to genetics, not all men are created equal. Okay? Because he literally can sneeze and just muscles pop out of him. Okay? Like, honestly. And so here's the deal. You can take that. Okay. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> he loves to leave that stuff up there just as long as he can to torture me with that. Okay? And so um, here's the deal. A couple months ago, I'm at my father-in-law's house, right, his dad, and my father-in-law says to me, hey, Jared, I need you to go move this table. It's a big, massive picnic table. And so I go over there, and I try to move the table by myself, and I can't do it. Okay, it's too heavy. In that moment, here's what I did not do. I did not go, okay, I got to wield the power of Morgan Holly. Come on, Morgan Holly. Come on, Morgan Holly. Like, come on, give me the power. Give me the power. Let's move it up. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I said, hey, Morgan, come help me move the table. And so Morgan walked over there, and he helped me move the table. Hey, here's my point. Because I'm in a relationship with the person of Morgan Holly, I have access to the power of Morgan Holly. Does that make sense? Um, and the same is true with the Holy Spirit. If you do not commune with the Holy Spirit, if you do not experience him as a person, if you do not have a close relationship with him, you will not get the power that he can provide for you. So then the question should be then, as we're coming in for a landing this morning, is how do I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? How do I walk in intimacy with God's Spirit? And for those of you that know me, this is going to seem really bizarre, I know. But I think the best way to understand of how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and experience His power is by thinking about this, this in the terms of a math equation. And I know, like again, for those of you that are math people, like you're like, this is awesome. For those of you that are not math people at all, you're like, this is terrible. I hate math. Like, trust me, I do too. It weirds me out. Like, people that are good at math freak me out a little bit, which is kind of weird because we have like three math teachers here this morning with us. Actually, Darius, do you teach math too? Okay, all right. So like four good math people in here teaching math, all right? And so you're going to love this. The rest of you, I think this is going to be helpful for you as well, okay? So when we think about walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit, and experiencing his power, here's an equation we need to remember for our lives. That holiness plus faith equals power. Holiness plus faith equals power. Now, some of you, let's talk about holiness first, because you're looking at that and you're probably thinking, does that really have to be in there? <laughs> like, can I just live however I want and just kind of do my thing and still experience the power of the, the Spirit in my life? And the answer to that question is No. Listen, if you want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, doesn't it make sense that you pursue a holy life? And, and I want to talk about what it means to pursue holiness for a second. When you think of holiness, right, don't think about rules as much as you think about a relationship. When you think about holiness, realize it is primarily about pursuing a relationship with God. And the reason I want you to, to get that this morning, because if you don't see that, holiness is going to become about checklist Christianity. Holiness is going to be this. Well, I've got to read my Bible because that's just what Christians do. Ever been there? I, I've got to pray because every Christian prays. I've got to tithe to the church because dead gummit, like the pastors get up and say Christians tithe to the church. So check, 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 check. Where's your power? That's not pursuing holiness. 
Pursuing holiness is about a relationship with God because that is what he is most after. Think about it like this. Uh, parents, imagine if you, whenever your kids are young, you sit down with them and you say, okay, kids, this is what I want for your life. I want you to give to the poor. I want you to work hard and always tell the truth. And you, you, just, you drill that in them all the way through school. Eventually, you get them into college. You pay their way through college, and you're still drilling that into them. And imagine after they graduate college, they get married, and they move off, and you never hear from them again. Two years go by, three years go by. You're blowing up the phone, can't figure out where they are. Eventually, you find out where they live. You go to the house, and let's say you knock on that boy or girl, and you say, hey, where have you been over the last two or three years? Like, we've been worried sick about you. Now, imagine if that kid looked at you and said, what are you so upset about? I've always given to the poor. I've always worked hard, and I've always been honest. Are the parents going to walk away and say, oh, that's cool. Great, thank you. No, why? That's not okay because what the parents want more than anything is a relationship with their kids. And that's the way it works with God. What God cares more about is not your morality of just do this because it's right and don't do this because it's bad. What God cares about more than anything is a relationship with you. And the reason he calls you to pursue holiness is because he is holy. And so pursuing holiness is ultimately about pursuing a relationship with God. It's saying, I realize that God alone can satisfy me. That he is better than the things of the world. And so because of this, I want to be where he is. And I want to do what it is that he has called me to do. And listen, when that happens, we will experience more of God's presence. And as a result, we'll experience more of his power. But on the flip side of that, when we fail to pursue holiness, we choose ourselves over God. And the Bible says in Ephesians, we literally grieve his spirit. And as a result, we miss out on his power in our lives. And so here's what that means. Please, everybody, look right at me. What that means, this is, I'm going to get super practical. I know we've been up here. We're going to try to bring it down, okay? What all of this means is that every temptation that we face is a chance to either grieve the Holy Spirit or grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Every temptation we face is an opportunity to either grieve the Holy Spirit or grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me just share an, op- an example of this in my own life. Tomorrow morning when I go to the gym, there are going to be some pretty ladies that walk in wearing yoga pants. I'm just going to be honest. In that moment, I have an opportunity to take something from them in my mind that God says doesn't belong to me, or I can walk away. In other words, in that moment, though it seems so minute, like, man, my wife's never going to know. You guys are never going to know. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's going to know. And when I take that from that woman that God has told me not to take, I grieve the Holy Spirit. But if I turn away, it's an opportunity to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Uh, the same is true for, for work. Tomorrow when you go to work and people's bashing the boss, you have an opportunity to come in on that and bash the boss as well. Or you can say, you know what, rather than grieving the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to turn away and grow in the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Whenever your spouse and kids are away and that porn site is calling your name, that's an opportunity in that moment. Am I going to grieve the Holy Spirit or am I going to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit? How we handle our temptation matters when it comes to us experiencing the Spirit's power in our life. I could preach a whole sermon on this. I really could because I think we take it for granted. I think we look and we say, I can sin and you know what? Grace is going to prevail. 
If that's your attitude, you don't know grace. You don't. Grace does not say, how much can I sin and still go to heaven? Grace says, God is so amazing, I will do whatever it takes to be where he is. And so some of that means avoiding stuff that he said to avoid, but it also means adding things into our life that we need to add. Things like reading our Bibles. That is not legalistic for me to say, you should read your Bible every morning, every day. That is not legalism. This is God's word to us. This is his spirit speaking through us. Some of you wonder why you have, you never experienced the power of the spirit. And it's because you're never in God's word. Ever. I'm not trying to reap condemnation on you. I'm just telling you that's why you're not experiencing it. So don't freak out and think I'm never going to experience the Spirit's power. Realize there's things you can do to experience the Spirit. Get in the Word. Spend time in prayer. When we read the Bible, that's our way of listening to God. When we pray, that's our way of talking to Him. God calls us to fast. We're to serve. We are to give. or to get involved in community. I hope what you're seeing is like the whole point of this. I want you to see like Experiencing the Spirit's power, like there's no shortcut to that. Right? There's no shortcut. We need to be people who pursue holiness, but not only that, we need to be people who walk in faith. If you want to access the Spirit's power, you need to start living a life beyond your own power. You need to be willing to take some risk. And I'm not talking about like just jumping off a bridge and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, let's see what you can do. You know, like I'm talking about, for example, someone in your missional community is hurting, it might be praying for healing. Just taking that risk. I'm going to pray right now that God will heal you. And we're going to talk more about healing next week. It could just be that you know God's called you to step across the street and talk to your neighbors about Jesus or just at least start building a relationship with them. And so for you, a risk might be living in your, uh, outside of your power might be walking out your front door and across the street. It, it might mean that when you're here or you're in your community, maybe like you realize someone's discouraged, they're struggling, and the Spirit gives you a word and says, hey, you need to speak a word of encouragement into this person. And you say, okay, despite the fact that I don't really understand why, I'm going to do it. Like, that's what I'm talking about here. And maybe for some of you looking, you say, well, how do I know it's the Spirit that's leading me to do that sometimes? And that's the point. That's why it's a risk. Sometimes, the spirit, you're, sometimes you're going to feel that the Spirit calls you to do that, and you're going to fall on your face. You really will. And then there are other times, though, that you will trust the Spirit. It will be the Spirit who is leading you. And in that moment, you will experience His power and His presence like never before. And maybe for some of you, you sit here and you say, man, I just don't know if I want to do this. I mean, this sounds scary. It sounds like it's going to stretch me out of my comfort zone. And what I would just ask you this morning is, how bad do you want this? I'll be honest, I don't want to play games. I could care less how big we grow the church if I don't experience the Spirit's power working through us. I really could care less. I don't want to spend the rest of my life going on my deathbed and know that I lived a life that was completely void of the Spirit's power working through me. And I hope that's where you are. Like, this is a boring hobby. Like, so how bad do you want this? Do you want it bad enough that you're willing to miss your late-night show so that you can get up early and get in the Word? Do you want it bad enough that you're willing to face some rejection? Some of you are walking in ongoing defeat. You keep struggling with the same sins over and over and over. The kids are wearing you out. Your marriage is on the rocks. And listen, the good news is this morning, you are not alone. You're not alone. God has not left you as orphans. He is not mad at you. He knows that you're weak. He knows that you can't pull this off in your own power. He knows that even after we receive the Spirit, which some of you have, there will still be times that you sow to the flesh rather than the Spirit. And that is the reason he sent Jesus Christ. 
the spirit-empowered man to live a perfectly holy life on our behalf that we could never live. To walk in faith towards the cross where he would die for your sins and my sins. And then through the power of the Spirit, three days later, would raise from the dead, crushing the power of sin and putting death to death so that we can receive forgiveness and freedom that is only found in him. And then 40 days later, he would ascend to be with his Father. And he really did send us his very own Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us to live the life we were created to experience. Do you believe that this morning? My hope is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will settle into our hearts. And as a result, man, we will be people who pursue holiness, that we take that seriously. We stop playing the role of a holy man and playing the role of a holy woman, and we in our own personal lives pursue holiness, that we will walk in faith, And as a result, my hope is not that we do this so that we can be the biggest church or the coolest church, but so that we can be a vibrant, healthy, spirit-filled community that lives in such a way that God's kingdom comes and his will is done in Paragord, Arkansas, just as it is in heaven. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Our band's going to come forward. We're going to sing one more song in response. And before we shuffle around, let's just create some space to listen to God's spirit. Father, I thank you so much that you not only sent Jesus to come and purchase us, to save us from our sins, but you have sent us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life that we really are all longing for. There are people here this morning who are absolutely exhausted. They are bored, and they totally do not believe that you have anything magnificent for their life. I pray that you will shatter unbelief this morning. I pray that you will help us all to believe more in the power of your Holy Spirit that you have given us for our good and ultimately for your glory. I pray for the one that is here this morning that maybe does not know you, who is not walking with you. I pray that right now through your Spirit that you will open their eyes to see you as beautiful, that they will stop trusting in themselves, knowing that that never leads to anywhere, and that they will trust fully in your life your death, and your resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.